Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Are you a startup? Wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions, and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. In taking a look at the use of the ring and how effective it is, it sounds like this would be something that we'd like to see out on the market tomorrow. So you might not be able to give us a concrete answer at this point, but how long into the future are we looking before this ring is would be commercially available. I understand it takes money. You've got to get money and there's all the startup funds you need, the seed funds, all that. But what are you folks there at the lab? Are you targeting a certain date that you'd like to get, see this get out onto the market? We had this earlier podcast about tattoos again. And in tattoos, my answer was next five, 10, 15 years. But with the rings, I my expectations are much more... I feel like we're going to see things coming up pretty soon. Maybe not tomorrow, but in the next year or so. Wow. And the idea is... So in research labs, we do all we can to understand the limitations so that we can push the boundaries of science. And I have a part of my thesis specifically focused on this work. Now, with building a product out of it, there are different elements coming into picture. You need to talk with stakeholders, right? You need to understand what is the most optimum way to operate these. Maybe the doctor will tell me that, hey, I don't need blood pressure every single second, right? I can just live with, be happy with, just capturing five minutes or the whole night, not even like every hour. Or maybe he'll, they will say, hey, I need blood pressure continuously. So these kind of important information from different stakeholders. Also, how are we going to create a revenue system? So all these will impact the device, the final 
a date for the device to be available, of course. But we are in the process. We're trying to understand these factors. We're trying to optimize some of our measurements and some of our sensor requirements to meet these requirements from different stakeholders. But the, in terms of timeline, definitely it, it's closer than other variables because we do have most of these systems established. The technology for batteries are already well-developed. It's mature. And we know what we expect from these systems. In terms of processing power, we know what we expect. So there will be some collaborative work with industry to enable reliable firm ring a packaging, right, and electronics that does support a wearable operation for a long time. But these are all within the timeline that we're we're talking about in a year or so. Wow, that's very fast when you take a look at the whole research lab to marketing to fundraising to actually then manufacturing. That's a very rapid amount of time. Was this something that you were working on as you were also working on it in the lab? Basically, how can we move this along with marketing in mind, with getting it on the shelf in mind, with getting money raised in in mind? So that's definitely a part that is moving in parallel. But I also, so it's one of these, when I think about it, what is the use of these rings? Are they for cosmetic purposes or for really medical diagnosis or are they just going to tell us some information about our health? So what is the target population? If we choose these rings to give us just some blood pressure information that is useful, that is fun to have, versus if we are going to use this blood pressure for clinical applications, I think the timeline, the answer, the stakeholders, everything changed drastically, or the marketing strategy changes drastically. For example, we can have these rings covered by insurance, or we can have these rings purchased by individual. So all these answers are going to be well-defined. So maybe it will not be ready next year to purchase this ring, but at least we are in the process to see what is the feasibility of this ring to be as a device that people can use, people can leverage. That's our main motivation, right? I would like my ring to be useful for the community instead of how it's going to be useful, that part we have to figure it out as we go through the process. Very good. Kind of a little side question here for some of our listeners that are thinking about getting into wearables. How much of this part of your work, and we'll we'll use your work as well, and also the work that you did with Dimitri with Texas A&M, when uh, the two schools work together on that, how much of an impetus is there while you're working on designing these wearables in the faculty saying, hey, let's think about this as entrepreneurs. So you're scientists, but then you're also putting on a business hat. How much of an effort is that is being made in the universities, and specifically the, the two that you know of from the work you've done in the past? Honestly? I think there is a big overlap between the entrepreneurial side and the university side of the work. Because in both sides, you're working on something that is new, that is novel, and there are new questions that you have to find answers. Now, with the research side, you are more interested in finding the most exciting research questions that was never answered and that creates some kind of impact. Entrepreneurial side, you would like to find answers that the market needs, right? And then you can turn this into a product that people can use, people can purchase. So 
the impact is the criteria that both of them need. And the impact in our example, blood pressure, we know it's important. So all of our efforts were actually, most of them are overlapping with the entrepreneurial side because the design of this ring requires you to make sensitive measurements. The sensitive measurements are the part that you need to answer in your research side. But then you need to make, so while you're write, writing your impact statement, you need to make sure that these rings can operate with different individuals over extended period of times. So that's the entrepreneurial side. So they're really overlapping. Now, of course, there are some questions that, that are not asked during research sites. For example, what is the cosmetics of this ring? What is the material that you're going to use for the housing of this the electronics? You know, what is the material that you're going to use? What is the color of that ring? So all that questions will be asked in the entrepreneurial side. But in the research side, we always want to ask specifically for these projects, the questions that are answering the most important needs, the most urgent needs in the society, in the community. So that was a big overlap in that sense. And in terms of some of our research elements, so my dissertation had multiple components and one component was building AI into the picture. So can I use AI? And you know, artificial intelligence is amazing, but it's amazing as long as you provide the data. And the biggest challenge with these systems, with health, is we don't have enough data from wearables with baseline measurements. For example, if I'm designing a blood pressure system, but I don't have thousands of individuals to do a phenotyping to understand the differences between individuals, build a physiological model that matches your AI, provide that much data to AI is not feasible. So a part of my thesis work was, can I use my know-how or my expert knowledge developed over the years, not only me, but all these cardiologists, all these amazing people, the mechanical engineers, they identified the factors, the mechanics of heart and the circulation. Can I use that information while I'm developing my AI algorithms, my artificial intelligence algorithms, so that the AI is not only looking into the data that I provide, which is limited, but also looks into the physiology as well and maps them to create something with less amount of data, still accurate. So that part, the entrepreneurial aspect of this work was limited, but is it going to impact how I'm going to build these devices? Definitely. So the, some research questions will have answers are unexpected. It's a, it's new boundary, new environment. And the answers might be super ready for market or it can be far from the market, but it will definitely impact the work that we're doing. Excellent analysis. I think that's something that I've not had a guest or I've asked a guest that before, but I sense that in the research labs, there were some sort of entrepreneurial questions were being asked. There has to be, because when you're coming up with wearables, it's going to be out on the market. And a lot of the wearables now are moving into the medical realm. So it's not just a wearable, just like you said, hey, just what's my blood pressure today? Or what's my heart rate? You know, I go out for a run. This is to help improve healthcare. And I, I see the, there's just the, the whole speed is so fast now and wearables moving in that direction because, yes, we do need help. We do need 
patient monitoring. And that's something I know I talk about many a time on the show is remote patient monitoring. And I think that's something in the medical world that we are slowly waking up to that, is that we're going to need that for various reasons that I've mentioned before. What I want to find out for you is just what kind of current is coming out? Are we talking about milliamps? Are we talking about microamps? What are we looking at as far as the current that's coming out of the ring into the skin, which we don't perceive? Definitely. Uh, it's a couple of hundreds of microamps. And there are some safety standards that we know we have. So bioimpedance was out there from 1960s by a project tailored by NASA. They were trying to capture the heart movement and the cardiac outputs. So they placed their bioimpedance sensors on the chest. But back then, technology was not supporting variable operation. There were some limitations. So the electrodes were big. The system was huge. So it wasn't as variable, but it was not invasive as opposed to these catheters to capture the cardiac output. So from 1960s and even before then to now, we, we learned a lot. We know how much current is enough. We know how much current is too much, right? We are well within the limits of this range. We are already aware and we're using a high frequency current. So high frequency allows us to penetrate deeper without dealing with the skin impedance. And it allows us to go higher on the current too, because you're not damaging anything anymore. You're using a high frequency current. And we are using, again, a range that is much lower than the maximum that is required by the standards. It's, it's a couple of hundred microamps and we know this is enough. And we don't want to increase it for other reasons as well because you have a contact and this contact has some kind of impedance as well. Nothing is ideal in, in this world, right? You increase your current. Now, because of this contact, you have some kind of saturation effect and you don't want that. So increasing current not only goes into out of range, but also we don't want that. We don't need it. It's just interesting to hear just how much is enough for what you need for this particular bioimpedance. And I think that uh, it's good for the listeners to know because, they, again, they don't want to think about buying something if they're going to feel it tingling their finger all day or they get, are they going to get these little jabs all day. People are concerned about that. Of course, so, you know, it's, there's always those jokes that are made with something electrical that my hair is going to curl or I'm going to be shaking all day long. This Frankenstonian type of um, <laughs> ideas so you know we, we don't want to think that this is what's coming out of on the market uh, to help monitor blood pressure well i'm going to ask you the question that i always ask all my very special guests and where do you see this particular market that you're in in wearables with the bioimpedance where do you see this in five years so it's going to be my personal opinion definitely it's going to be definitely biased maybe Right. Where do I see this technology in five years, this market in five years? I mean, I think every single month we see new improvements in the wearable technologies and how we integrate them into our life. It wasn't more than 15 years we had Apple systems, right? Apple Watch was very recent. Ten years ago, we didn't have Apple Watches. Now everybody has these smart watches that they can monitor their health information. Now these watches are offering more and more every day. They can detect stress. They can detect heart rate and from heart rate, heart rate variability, other factors, exercise, your exercise 
how much calories you're burning. All this information came into our life in, in the last 10 years or so, even less, last five years or so. So the acceleration is very interesting, very high in terms of adaptation of these technologies. We're adapting these technologies really fast. So I think the biggest bridge that we need to cross now is the clinical applications, the clinical applications that we can gain from these variables. And I think that's what we're seeing slowly, but steadily. We are confident that bioimpedance can help us quite a bit compared to these matured uh, optical modalities because of all these important limitations that we address, such as the skin, skin color dependency. It needs to work on any individual, right? The BMI dependency with the optical modalities. We need to work with any individual, especially with individuals with higher BMI. We know that the risk increases, actually. So if we can't address that specific cohort, then we already have an extra challenge on our hands. So I think bioimpedance can definitely take a part in the market. And there's interest that we are receiving quite a bit of interest when we share these news with our colleagues, partners, and various components of, again, various stakeholders. But in terms of the whole technology, I think it's growing exponentially right now. Five years from now, even I can't imagine where we can see these variables employed. Maybe a part of these variables will be definitely, I definitely believe that they will be in clinical applications, but I do not know which specific applications. I know that there are some very exciting work on glucose monitoring. Now we have these patches that can capture your blood sugar levels. 10 years ago, we didn't have them. So there are so many things that are happening at, at the same time. And I think different research projects have a synergy to work together as well. One idea that I have is you have bioimpedance, but you have optical modalities too. You have also these accelerometers, gyroscopes, all these sensors, they're all wearable. Why not using them together instead of just having one sensor that does one thing? Why not having a multi-modular system that captures as much physiological and environmental information as possible at the same time, and then use that to combine and get more information than necessary? So definitely the market is moving. It's exciting. I think we definitely need to see these devices in clinical applications as soon as possible. I agree with you 100% on that. I'd like to see one tomorrow, but I know that's not going to happen. We are patient with this process. There's more of an understanding in the medical world that these devices are on their way. We just need to be ready for them. I mean, you folks in research know exactly what they can do. And I think another step is to educate us in the medical world of what they can do. I think a lot of times we may have a hesitancy to want to use these when they do come out. They're, okay, the FDA approved it. How accurate is it? Do I want to trust my license to these devices? This particular device I give to my patient, how accurate is it? If it's not that accurate and they end up having a full-blown heart attack or a stroke, now they're in the emergency room, I'm concerned. So yes, I think the reliability you see in the research lab, and of course, as you research it on people, and you also see the accuracy, but that's something that education will need to be done to us as the medical providers. Why should I use your device? Because I don't want to end up in court if it fails. I don't want to get sued if it's not that accurate. So those are the things I think that we as medical professionals take a look at. I think I'm a little bit more comfortable with it just because my association with people through this podcast and taking a look at the research data. And I was one of those people that was 
very enthusiastic when I saw in your whole article there and I thought, got to get you back on. This is fantastic. I mean, I could definitely see the use of this with the bioimpedance. And I was really excited about that because I know the accuracies of we deal with that in physical therapy when we use electrical stimulation. What kind of current are we going to use depending on the type of problem? So when I saw that, it just, it was very comfortable for me to think about that. So I think that the track that you're on with this is fantastic. I like your five-year forecast. This is very moving very quickly. So I'm excited to hear that from your standpoint, because you're the one in the trenches working on these things. We're out here waiting for them. You're the pitcher. We're the catcher. We've got the glove. Send us that strike. We're ready for it. Well, Con, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to be on the podcast and to share the very latest of what's happening. And again, I'm going to put my invitation out like I did last time. Anytime something new comes up, I'd love to get you back on the show just like I did this time, because I think people like you are always thinking, always looking ahead. What can I do next? Never resting on your laurels, but moving ahead because we need your help. There's people out there that definitely need your help, your expertise, your intelligence. And by the way, congratulations on getting your doctorate. I think that's a huge milestone. Fortunately, it's not another five years for you. You've you've got that done. So we don't have to to keep looking on to the future. When am I going to get my doctorate finished up. So congratulations to you on that. I think that's quite a milestone. And we look forward to you continuing to do research and helping people in the future with whatever your next innovation is going to be. We look forward to that. I appreciate it, Chef. It's always fun and exciting to talk to you. And I always learn new things from you because you're a stakeholder in this picture as well. So as you said, our part is important, but I also think that every stakeholder so by stakeholder i mean medical professionals the investors the people the individuals who are going to use these rings all information gathered from them is as valuable as the information we provide to the system so i think we are equal contributors in this ecosystem so it's not only us doing the research we have to also educate ourselves by talking to you and to other stakeholders and understand what are the needs what are the what is the view on these products? So I think this is a great opportunity to have this and to learn from you. I appreciate the invitation definitely. And I'm always happy to talk and give what I have in my, in my bucket. Well, I hope that bucket keeps staying full because I love what you guys are doing. And I love what you're doing. And I think the synergy that you describe between different universities and, and different specialties what outside of the academic world, I think is what's really driving this. And I think it's only going to get faster and faster. It's going to just really spin as time goes on. And I'm excited about that because the world needs this. It's really, it's time for that. So again, thank you for your time and go enjoy the rest of your day. Look forward to hearing some new interventions that you have in the upcoming future. Sounds great, Jeff. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, 
send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website, www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.